the award-winning crunch time. Al had a bounce, then straightened up. Kicked it, uh, just didn't quite land where he wanted it to, but the knock ended up with Larky, who doubled back and kicked the goal. Half a dozen for Nick Larky. He gives the hand pass to McGovern. Kick smothered by Zuha. North are going to get a goal. Combin's rushed back, just needs it to sit. It runs in, they've read it. Oh, Combin, out of midair. That, that throw in just then. Be kind, boys. I'm not sure Giraffe lived to 80, but McInerney, Horn Francis, what a start. Showed strength, brute strength. Up towards Marshall again. He's in the box seat. It's gone all the way. Jason Horn Francis, what a start. And the mark's been taken by Francis Evans. And he's got a few tricks, this lad, as well. Feeds off the handball to Rosie. Rosie has a shot at Galt. And he's picked it. They lead by 46. They win by 10. The Alistair Clarkson era begins at North Melbourne in spectacular fashion, while Port Adelaide and Jason Horn Francis give Brisbane something to think about with a commanding 54-point victory. And the D's through Pickett can come away through the middle. Chandler's out the back. Takes the mark. He's got no one between he and the goals. So just goes off the deck. Oh. Bouncing, bouncing. No way. Brody Grundy for his first goal as a D. And they all come to celebrate. Back to Papley. Papley now lets five from west inside 50. I think he's put a throw. Tommy oh. Papley, he's done it again. He loves that end of the ground. He celebrates high fives everywhere for number 11. A D demolition. Simon Goodwin's side makes a big round one statement. And the Swans dispel any ideas of a grand final hangover. You're listening to Sunday Crunch Time. Well, good morning and welcome to Sunday Crunch Time. So much to unpack after a really compelling first round of footy thus far. Of course, three games to come today. Sarah Ollie is here with Cal Toomey, Scott Lucas and Leon Cameron will join us in the second hour. Good morning, Cal. Good morning, Sarah. Good morning, Scotty. It's uh, been exciting to have footy back. A couple of ripping games to open the round and some massive storylines to come out of Saturday as well. I was at the MCG last night and... Left there thinking they're going to be very, very mm. hard to beat for the Premiership Melbourne. So looking forward to chatting a little bit further about them across the day. And Scotty Lucas, a sweaty Scotty Lucas. You've just <laughs> made it this morning. <laughs> get away with that, but uh, the sweat would say otherwise. No, a few city detours meant that I uh, parked the car and decided to uh, get my fitness training in early. <laughs> Not advised. <laughs> and apologies for having to put up with me. But no, it's really interesting. I mean, you look at it and going into the year, I thought, gee, does a lot change? Is there a team that we think will really rise up the ladder? And also, do we think there's a team that will really fall? Um, I went into that thinking perhaps not. And uh, I'll be interested to see how that unfolds. But the good teams are still very good. And Brisbane, a little question mark, but we can – we so – we're so quick to overreact on one round of football. So you want to see a lot more, but a really positive start by Port considering what they're going on, because it's a really difficult year for a senior coach that is out of contract and the speculation. And we've got Leon coming in later who can really talk to that and how as much as you try for it not to be destabilizing, it invariably is because the assumption would be with, for a lot of players there that they're looking to make a change because every team that wants to avoid that signs their coach up well in advance to take that off the table. Because that's still there, it will be discussed 
for a while, but a really strong statement by the players. And as Cal said off air, they're a really talented group, Port Adelaide, that I think underachieved, if that's possible, because, I mean, you achieve what you should. But last year, their start was poor. And if you looked at perhaps their record from round six on, that's a clear indication of where they are as a, as a team. We're going to find out which team they are, the team from the first six weeks or the last 16 last year. What I loved about Port was in that third term, it was very much young talent time. And we saw that with Jason Horn francis go into the middle and just absolutely dominate that third term, Cal. Yeah, he dominated. He had 10 touches and five inside 50s for the quarter. And and he dominated at the start of the game too, didn't he? He was busy. He kicked that early goal, first goal, obviously, in Port Adelaide colours. And that was the type of footy that Port Adelaide traded so hard to get into their mix. And it was the type of footy that, you know, they wanted to add to their midfield group because all throughout that trade period last year, it was like, can you imagine, you know, Horn Francis alongside Rosie, who's just had a career best year, best and fairest and an All-Australian jumper. Zach Butters, who had some injuries over the past couple of seasons, but everyone knows his ability. You throw in the Brownlow medalist, Ollie Wines. Travis Boke didn't play yesterday. And and even when he does return, he's not going to be central to that midfield group as much as he's had to be in the past. So that that's the the plan. And to see the first section of the plan started to pay off uh, on the opening game of the season, particularly after a, a first couple of weeks of the, the preseason campaign that didn't go to plan at all for Port Adelaide. Their, their week in Western Australia was underwhelming, I'd say, at best. Lost both of their games and were well beaten and just looked a little bit off it. And I think there was probably a feeling heading into yesterday's game that they'd probably have to have some, some luck on their side to, to be able to challenge the Lions, who'd come in as everyone's at least grand final yeah. tip, potentially premiers, and Will Ashcroft's having 30 in, in practice games and all the star recruits are going, well, how good can this side be? But to do that, and also there was times in yesterday's games game where you thought, okay, Brisbane's about to run away with this. That's the part, Scotty, I think that was probably most impressive about what they did because they started well. Teams can always start well and have a great opening quarter and, and fade away after not taking advantage of what they did in that opening few minutes. But they did. They came back. Clearly, they were better early. They were challenged. We see a lot of teams challenged and then can fold. But then they went away with it again. So that was a, quite a mature performance. Uh, I think strategically they've been very good with the balance of their list because if you said preseason, what are they? How do? How are we going to be good? I think it revolves around Butters and Rosie spending a lot of time in the midfield. But I'm sure there's a debate internally from the midfield coach who says I want them and the forwards coach. But now the forwards coach has got Junior Rioli, mm. so there's less of a, a a need for Butters to stay forward and provide that speed and spark. Fantasia's critical in that he stays fit because that will also allow Rosie and Butters to stay in the midfield. And Horn Francis compliments them perfectly. They're very athletic runners, uh, go the lines, whereas I think Horn Francis can do it, but he's more of a burst mid, a powerful in and around the ball, distribute out to those guys. So it's a really good balance there. And I think the tick for Horn Francis, if we look at this game, is Brisbane are a really experienced, big-bodied midfield. So to be able to match it with those guys is very pleasing for Jason and for Port Adelaide. Well, he just pushed off Lockie Neal at one of those centre stoppages and said, see you later and hit someone lace out. It was beautiful to see him. We speak about them responding to the challenge of Brisbane. I was really impressed with the D's last night, Callan, how they responded to the challenge from the Western Bulldogs because the Dogs did have the ascendancy there in that second quarter, mm. but it was all Melbourne after that. Yeah, it was. And as you say, they managed to get a couple of goals up the Dogs and that, that was almost the trigger for, for Melbourne to again produce one of these avalanches against 
the Western Bulldogs, there must have been some sort of thought about that 2021 grand final. And, and it happened sort of either side as well. There's a couple of periods even late in the third quarter where, again, the Dogs were, were challenging. Uh, Jack McRae kicked that really nice snap just before three-quarter time and got him back within 15 points or so. And after that, it was just all Melbourne. So... The storyline out of last night will clearly be about Kaziah you know, Pickett's performance and Brody Grundy and Max Gorn teaming up so well. There's got to be a, a, an element of the opposite too around where the where do the Bulldogs sit and, and how much of last night was a worry, how much of it was first game sort of um, you know rustiness to some degree, and again, how, how much do you persevere with this? unique plan that they're going with. And I'm sure we'll talk about this throughout the show, but it was fascinating to see it at the ground as well. We've seen it in practice games, obviously the the, the fourth pronged key forwards with Rory Lobb playing his first game for the club, Sam Darcy, you know, only his, I think his fifth game or sixth game of AFL footy. We know, of course, uh, Jamari Hagen still coming to terms with the demands of the AFL system as well. Um, and Aaron Norton clearly is the best and most reliable one in the group. But it's funny talking to and speaking to Luke Beveridge after the game about how he saw it. All four of them aren't ever on the ground together. So that is one thing you did say. And you do notice that at the at the game as well. There's a rotation and the flexibility that the, the Sam Darcy in particular has for them to be able to go back when Liam Jones, at least for a moment, when Liam Jones was injured for that second half with the neck knock. So it gives them some flexibility, but it's going to be fascinating because Melbourne was probably gettable to some degree in the air because Stephen May wasn't there. They, absolutely. I mean, that would have been the concern for Melbourne going in, not having Stephen May when you're threatened with the four talls. So Tomlinson to come in, uh, Lever played the role really well. So the advantage of him is the way that he sets them up. And they work together as a group so well. So defensively, it started there. I think the dogs will pursue it. If we know one thing about Bevo, he'll stick to his guns. He's very loyal to what he believes in. So he'll start with that. But you're right. If you looked at those four forwards... One's a bona fide A-grader. Uh, Jamar is still finding his way. Lobb's been good at times, uh, no doubt about that. And young Sam Darcy, I think, will be a star, but he's played a handful of games. So with some big-bodied back lines also and the ability to rebound, they'll have to be mindful of that. So Waitman out at the moment with a groin Huge. hurts them. Yes. yes. So you need to complement those tools with very lively smalls that can lock the ball in. So the dogs, and you were watching McRae rotate with Trelaw at different times through the forward line, that could be problematic in a sense that often your forward, your mids that go forward are there primarily to rest and if they can jag a goal, great. But if they're called on to play legitimate small forward apply pressure on the on the out from the opposition that'll be a real challenge to their structure and their balance and they did have some issues with that last year as well the defensive transition and Bevo pointed that out as well last night that there's still some issues to work through there and to be fair their skill and ball use last night was poor their delivery into the forward line didn't help a, a group of guys who wanted in the air so nine single goal kickers too shows that there's probably a, a a flexibility that's not quite working yet or a rhythm there that's not quite to be found. We love top 50s, top 20s, best <laughs> evers. <laughs> the world's gone mad. List, list some nuts. List some nuts in every form, in every sport. Do we have a chuckle now that everyone didn't have Christian Petrarca at one? <laughs> well, wow. he, he's always been my number one for, for a number of years. Yeah. I didn't do the list this year. Last year I did, but he... 
Sometimes we look for things that aren't there and hope that someone ju- where how explosive is he? And there was that run out of the centre deep where he kicked it. Well, there was the ruck contest where Grundy yeah. was in the middle, heads it down to Christian, and and, and Petrarca gets his first and, five steps, and it, and it's in Max Gorn's hands in t- three seconds. He's a phenomenal player. I mean, he was a Norm Smith medalist a season and one game ago. He did nothing to diminish his reputation <laughs> last year. And I think, and, and listening to the call last night, to hear Paddy Dangerfield, who is the, the prototype of that player, that style, basically say, he's the one, um, is good enough for me. And it's funny, even a few years ago, there's maybe a doubt on Christian living up to his, his talent and ability after the, the knee reconstruction yeah. early in his career. Melbourne was still sort of in that finding itself. He um, built he built over a period of did. time, didn't he? It was probably an underrated season a couple of years ago. Might have been um, nineteen potentially. Where classic, where the team yes. is not that good, so we look past the performances of some of the players. But no his, doubt. But his year was really good, and he was kicking goals then as well. And after that, we've just seen the jump where the belief has matched the output, and he he's as driven, I think, a, a person as I've come across in terms of wanting to get the best out of himself as an athlete. And and we're seeing that now. Another match that was going on last night, albeit a little bit off Broadway, was between the Sydney Swans and Gold Coast. And really, if you checked your phone at the six-minute mark, as I did, as I was watching the other match at the MCG, you thought, wow, grand final hangover. It doesn't look like it exists, Scotty. No, I, I did hear comments about yesterday on, on Talkback Radio. Are they better to have not made? They were comparing Collingwood to Sydney. That's and it was an interesting like, topic, yeah. It was like, oh, I'd rather be Collingwood and not make it. And, and I couldn't comprehend that comment. I think there's still so much to be gained from going through the experience because I'm sure the aim of every Sydney player is to get back there this year, next year, the year after. And what took place last year will hold them in really good stead for that. It's not a guarantee that the experience gets you over line for the next one, but I certainly don't think it hurts. Uh, And they know what it looks like. They've won a close preliminary final to get there. And then the evidence is what you do over the off-season and you get back to work and and come out. And you're quite right. They've put that behind them. I'm sure they've taken out of it what they need. And I think it'll drive them this year. What does Uh, it say about the Suns, though? Are we worried for this club that has been... Talking the talk this off-season, but when it comes to push and shove, when it comes to round one, they look a little bit listless. Yeah. They didn't show Boys up. They looked asleep. Yeah. Uh, interesting. Sw- Sydney, really good contest, big bodies. The one thing I noticed, then a little bit like you flicking backwards and forwards, trying to get the run of the game and what was happening, was really quite uh, humid, dewy, slippery. Ball in a bit tighter. The bigger bodies of the Swans just were able to dominate them. Mm. But you're right. There is expectation around the Suns. And when we talk about a team, oh, this team and that team can make the eight, you also need to tell us who's the team that you think is going to miss out (laughs) when you look at last year. I mean, I think Carlton are that next team that are there, but they've still got a lot to learn, uh, as we saw on Thursday night. So the Suns are, I think, if you said last night, they've improved but I think they're still a fair way off that top crew. I mean, with, if they were to come down here and play a, a Richmond, Carlton, um, Melbourne, what do we think would happen? If those teams travelled up to the Gold Coast in the next week or two, who do you think would win? I think they've got still many steps to go in that regard. These, these guys won't necessarily help in that division, but they are missing, I think, a couple of their better boys out of half-back who will be able to help. Will Powell and, and Lockie Weller, who will come back in coming weeks from, from their injuries. They'll be disappointed with that performance. I was up there a, a few weeks ago and 
there also is a sense that um, they match up quite well against the Swans, don't they? And They've they won have three done, of the past four, yeah. They have done it yeah. against them, since, particularly since Stewie Drew, of course, came across knowing full well how the Swans play as a former assistant there. Um, and, look, the Swans, you never know what you're going to get round one off, off a big grand final yeah. defeat as well. So And a, a month less preparation. So all of those things were probably in the Suns' favour. So I, I think that was... Uh, a, a poor performance for for what and they internally would have been hoping to achieve out of it. And it's two in a row in a sense. And let's take practice match form with a grain of salt. But they were really disappointing against the Giants, who we 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 I think most would assume the Giants are perhaps taking a step back or they've a new game plan. Lost Taranto and Hopper. Where are they at? Um, so that was just that's two in a row now. From your week up there, Kel, where do they expect themselves to be this year? I think they'll be expecting to challenge for the top eight, as they should be for the first time in their history. And they're in that midst of clubs. I think that's a reality, as you said, that that, that mix of group, uh, a group of clubs that's going to be somewhere from six to 12. And there's an evenness there. There was an evenness there last year. St Kilda didn't make the top eight, but won 11 games, obviously changed coach. But there's some clubs, uh, Carlton we know was in that bracket for, for the whole year, apart from the end of it. Um, Port Adelaide this year will be challenging again we expect particularly on the the basis of yesterday's performance so Fremantle's another one who's going to be in that category for me I have him somewhere from the sort of six to ten part of the the uh the ladder so I I think they'll be pushing to be in there and there is a, a, a feeling there that they're ready to match it with the the men as you said be a little bit more of a grown-up club now so that'll be a step back for them uh, in round one. In saying that, though, other years they have started really well and and run out of legs. So, they... and structurally, last night to that point, three talls at the start in a slippery game. I think that they got their selection wrong as well. Look, having Joel Casbolt King and Joel Jeffries a, a, a medium type too, but can play a little bit taller, yeah. can play a little bit smaller. So three and a half talls in those yeah. conditions. Yeah, and, and they should know that. I mean, they play. 11 games up there. They play at night. They know what they're going to get. Uh, and that really played into the Swans' hands also. What did we make of the Ruse performance? The first performance with Alistair Clarkson at the helm. He had that steely look on boundary side. And they looked to be cruising at Marvel Stadium at one point against the Eagles, who were really disappointing, particularly in that first half. They came back in the third term and, and the Ruse, they just managed to cling on to dear life. But... I don't know, I had a bit of a smile on my face at the end of it all. I, I was happy for this club to get this win, the first under Alistair Clarkson. It's been a tough three, well, years. three years. Yeah, I'd say 12 <laughs> months, but let's extend it <laughs> well, out. Nine, nine wins in yeah. three years. Yeah. yeah, yeah, It's tough going. Yeah, it is. Yeah, and um, I think he would give that, that group just confidence. I mean, there's a respect there from what he's done beforehand that he, he knows what it looks like. So the players listen and go, okay, well, I believe in that because he's been there and done that. And the way that he took Hawthorne from where they were to have that period of success is not dissimilar in terms of started really low, got some good players, early draft picks in and really built from there. The difference, the obvious difference being that, you know, a lot of it was Buddy and Roughhead. So the two pillars up forward and then some complimentary mids around it. Uh, But let's talk, what's going to excite North Melbourne? Well, Sheasel. Oh, Things, Harry Sheasel. That's right. And you've got Wardlaw to come in. So I'm sure Alistair Clarkson will expose the players, those players to the AFL, which in turn will excite the fans. And that's what you need because you're not going to win a lot of games because if we looked at more broadly, I think they're two of the bottom four or five teams. Uh, 
But it's good to win your games around the teams that are in a similar position and build from there. But great debut from Sheasel. Uh, Larky up forward was really impressive. It was amazing, wasn't it, Harry Sheasel? Yeah. And but were you, you surprised from what you know about him? Well, I'm not surprised that him make an impact early on. But not at the not end at the of the ground. And I, to be <laughs> honest, like speaking to Harry as well, over the last 18 months, that's not a role that he's played too much footy off. You, 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 as a kid and as a junior star, you don't tend to play at half back, do you, if you, if you can <laughs> kick a goal. And he's been able to kick goals like very few others um, throughout his whole oh. junior career. So he kicked 30-odd goals last year if in the NAB League. goal sense, because he was a medium uh, tall, Sarah, I reckon in the last 10 years, his goal sense is as good as anyone running around in the NAB League. Like most of the, the guys that kick high goals are marking. They catch it, they go back and they kick the set shot. But his, so many of his goals were creatively created through off the pack, crumb, pick up, flare. snap. Yeah, flair, creativity that you can't teach. Yeah, I think that will get the better of North Melbourne at some stage and they will move him to the front half. But I don't mind that he's starting in a position where – He's got an opportunity because he's really creative, finds the football to do well, but also learn a few things from different smart half forwards. So I quite like that, um, particularly when the phase North Melbourne are in. But no doubt with his class, he'll end up in the forward half. The other part of uh, Harry Sheasel playing so well was that he wasn't alone in terms of the new faces we saw as well. Will Phillips was the substitute, but came on relatively early after the injury to Tristan Cherry. He's had 17 touches. Josh Goder from a couple of years ago's draft as well, showed some signs. Tom Powell had 24 touches, was again using the midfield role, which he was drafted for last year. I, I'll never understand how North Melbourne used him last year. And Miller Bergman as well, who is, is only a fresh face that very few people outside of North Melbourne will know too much about. But it's about growing the group together, isn't it? And, and You've got to play them. Together. Yeah. Find out what you've got. Well, someone who's not necessarily a fresh face, but a fresh face to North Melbourne is going to join us next. Liam Shields. I thought he really stood up in some big moments yesterday. He'll join us next on Sunday Crunch Time. You're listening to the award-winning Crunch Time. Well, I'm sure if you are a North Melbourne fan, you are walking around with a pep in your step today. Nice to be on the winner's list in the opening round. Of course, North Melbourne coming off a five-point victory over West Coast. I'm sure North fans had their hearts in their mouths at one point as well because it was getting very close towards the end. And someone who was a big player in it all, a mature head, was Liam Shields. And he joins us this morning. Welcome to Sunday Crunch Time, Liam. Thanks, Sarah. Thanks for having me on. Take us through those frenetic five or so minutes because the ball was pinging around everywhere and it looked like both clubs had opportunities to win the game. How did you experience it out there? Yeah, we made it tough for ourselves in the end. Um, I think we had a decent lead at half time, but, um, you know, as you see in today's footy, the team that's behind always seemed to come out and throw something at us and that's what West Coast did. So, um, yeah, it came down to a close finish in the end. I think we had our chances. Curdy Taylor missed a pretty easy one straight in front um, which you know with a minute to go probably would have sealed the game but um, to the boys credit I think the contest was really hot towards the last couple of minutes boys were throwing their body on the line and um, I think we yeah, deserved the win in the end which was nice to, to start our season that way. 
Liam, congratulations on the win. And uh, I guess I consider you an assistant coach in many ways with your experience in coming across to North Melbourne. For the North Melbourne fans listening out there, who should they be excited about? And uh, who do you expect to see a lot more from this year? Yeah, I think, um, you know, all the guys we brought in the draft um, this year have been fantastic. Uh, we saw Harry Sheasel yesterday, 34 touches on debut, playing halfback where he's never really played before was pretty special. But um, also George Wardlaw, who's had um, a little, little bit of an interrupted preseason. Um, he'll probably get going in the next couple of weeks at VFL level and then work his way up. Um, I'm sure he'll play a lot of senior footy this year as well. Um, Blake Jury is another guy we've got in the draft. Cooper Harvey showed some really good stuff as well. And um, Braden George is a, a guy that we picked up. Um, you know, probably would have went higher first round, but he, he did his knee last year. So they're you know, going to take a pretty slow and, um, conservative approach with him, but there's you know a number of guys that have been around for a couple of years now. We saw with Tom Powell, he's he's really bulked up. He's had a good off season in the gym, played some great footy yesterday, and also uh, Charlie Cobbman stepped up um, with Big X going down in the first quarter. Um, it was good to see Big Charlie step up in the ruck and also push forward, kick a couple of goals. So um, you know it's a very exciting list. There's a lot of young talent there, and um, hopefully we get to see a bit of it this season. And Liam, I'm interested with Alistair Clarkson. He's taken over a team that a team that is rebuilding. You've been with him on the journey at Hawthorne, where you built together, you won flags, and then you, you tried to go again. Has he differed in his approach with this group, or is it very much Clarko from Hawthorne that has come across to North Melbourne? No, I think he's um, obviously there's a little a little bit of that stuff he's brought across from Hawthorne, but um, he spent a year out of the game. He's been across. Um, he spent time with Edge Postecoglou in the Scottish Premier League and then also Steve Kerr with the Golden State Warriors as well. So um, he's been away and one of his great strengths as a coach is um, his ability to adapt and innovate. And, um, you know, he's got an enormous amount of passion for the game and um, developing those, uh, I guess, relationships with the players where he can strive them to improve. So, um, yeah, there is a little bit that he's brought across from Hawthorne, but he, he's brought a couple of new tricks as well. So, yeah, it's exciting. Liam, what was the, the job description? For you, that when Clarko said we want you to come over and and play a part in in what we're we're building here and what we want to do, what was the pitch and what made you want to take it up? Yeah, it was a uh, funny one, I guess. The initial discussions with um, the footy club were more based around life after football. I've got a passion for the recruiting, list management side of things, so um, that's something that I wanted to you know take up with the North Melbourne Football Club. And then uh, once Clarko got the job, um, he said, "How's your body?" And I was one of the lucky players that. I guess finished up with Hawthorne. My body was in, you know, still good nick. So um, he saw a role there for me. Um, as you said, I've played under Clarko before. I know the way he operates. So um, he saw a role there for me where I could potentially be out on the training track, um, be out on the field when I get the opportunity and be able to, you know, coach and instruct these guys while I'm out there. So um, that's an opportunity that I'd love to explore and I thought I had something to offer there. So, yeah, it's worked out, worked out well in the end. You mentioned you're still feeling pretty fresh in terms of your age and experience. Is that something that you have to monitor across this year? Is there a bit of a plan in place for how many games you'd ideally like to be playing um, across this season? Uh, I haven't had those discussions. Um, I mean, I'm happy to play any role for the footy club and the side, whether it be sub, um, whether I have to go back to the VFL for a few weeks, but I haven't had those um, discussions. I'm doing a little bit Less training than usual. Um, we've got Kev White and Johnny Laden, who are both fantastic operators in the strength and conditioning side of things. So, um, you know, seeing today's footy, um, each individual player has probably a different program depending on where their body's at and where their age at. So, um, yeah, being one of the older guys, um, we have to do a little bit less training, which is nice. We're speaking to Liam Shields. Liam, I know that there were some Roos fans that 
when the team sheet came out, they were a bit confused to see that Todd Goldstein hadn't been included. Of course, Tristan Cherry, we know he's gone down with that unfortunate injury. But what does it say around Clarko's mentality and what he's trying to build with this group? Oh, I think, um, you know, Clarko comes in and when a new coach comes in, he basically gives everyone a clean slate. And um, X and Goldie have been going neck and neck um, all pre-season and um, X got the opportunity round one. They both had fantastic pre-seasons and, um, you know, it could have been a flip of the coin, but the Clarkos went with big X to get the job done. And unfortunately, um, you know, he's probably going to miss, uh, you know, a bit of footy now. I don't know exactly how severe it is at the moment, but um, yeah, that's, that's, you know, what good sides, um, you know, there's always competition for spots and there's always depth. So um, yeah, it's, it's disappointing that X is going to miss a bit, but uh, Goldie will, will come in and um, no doubt he'll be fired up and play some good footy now. How were his spirits after the match? Because he looked really frustrated when he went down. He knew that he was in a bit of trouble. I think he even punched the turf. Uh, what kind of spirits was Tristan Jerry in? Yeah, he was obviously pretty flat. Um, he's probably one of our best performers over pre-season and, um, you know, he gets his opportunity round one and then, you know, at the end of the first quarter, um, has to be subbed out of the game with a pretty severe injury. Um yeah, it looked, it looks pretty bad. As I said, I'm not exactly sure what it is, but he was extremely calm on the ground. He's probably, you know, one of our toughest players. Um, you know, it looked, as I said, looked pretty bad and pretty severe and he was so calm. But yeah, obviously frustrated mentally with all the work that he's put in and gets his opportunity and then um, has to be subbed out of the game early. But, you know, that's, that's the game we play. It can be brutal at times, but I'm sure X will, will come back as he's one of our toughest players and probably one of our hardest workers at the club. So no doubt we'll see him shortly. Liam, at the end of the year, what does success look like for the North Melbourne Football Club? I think wins will be tough at times. So so what else can we draw on if you're a fan? Yeah, I think just the little milestones. We saw one yesterday with Harry Sheasel. I mean, makes his debut for the club, has 34 touches and um, is one of our top three players on the, on the ground. So I think success for us is, you know, getting a few games into these young kids, giving them an opportunity and just taking the little milestones out of the game as well. Um, spoke about Charlie Cobden. Earlier, you know, he's a guy that's been, um, you know, interrupted with injuries throughout his three years at the club. And um, yesterday, he has to step up and fill the role of X, which he did extremely well. He rucked um, really well and then got forward and kicked a couple of goals. So um, I don't know if it'll be wins, losses in terms of success, but more, you know, developing these young guys and getting games into them and building their confidence, belief that they can play at AFL level. A lot of new faces and a couple of new captains as well this season in Luke McDonald and, and Jai Simkin. Liam, you've played alongside and under um, a lot of great leaders at Hawthorne. What sort of advice have you given those two about stepping into that role? Oh, just to be themselves, I guess. Um, I've played under you know three three captains at Hawthorne and they all did it in their own way and they're all fantastic leaders. Um, so I've, that's, that's the only advice I've given to them. They're both got their strengths and weaknesses in terms of leadership and um, I think it's fantastic that um, they can do it together. They're both great mates. Um, I think there was one vote um, between them in, in the, the player leadership vote. So, um, you know, it's fantastic that we've got two guys leading the club. Um, and as I said, they're both fantastic leaders. They're both still young, so they're going to develop. But um, I think the way they played yesterday was first class. Liam, thank you so much for joining us. Enjoy the win. Best of luck for the rest of the season and best of luck for the trip west for the Dockers at Optus Stadium on Saturday night. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me on. Liam Shields there. And he's going to be important, Cal, isn't he, for this pretty young side throughout this year. Yeah, he is. And that's part of the reason they got him, isn't it, Scotty, to, to shepherd some of the, the younger guys through um, what is a demanding and, and brutal 
footy season. We've seen that over the last couple of years for North Melbourne where there have been some some moments that have been exciting, but on the whole, it's been a pretty tough ride. And Alistair Clarkson's their fourth coach, including an interim coach in Lee Adams last year in five years. So the, the level of change at that footy club has been significant, and that's part of the reason they brought him on. Look, I, I think the idea for, for Liam Shields as well will be this isn't just a one-year thing for him at, Hawthorne, uh, at North Melbourne. There's a couple of years within this for, for that role, and obviously he's got an interest too in the, the list management space post-footy. All right, you're listening to Sunday Crunch Time, and as we head to the break, let's hear from Sam Edmund and Nick Strauss. Well, our major partner on Crunch Time here for 2023 is the magnificent Berwick Motor Group, and their CEO is with us, Nick Strauss. Good morning, dear Nick. G'day, Sam. How are you? Now, why are you here, and why are you involved in, in Crunch Time this year? Well, we're a major sponsor now of SEN, which we're very proud of, and um, we're also uh, running the uh, Survivor competition, which is really exciting. Now, I wanted to talk to you about that, uh, BMG Survivor Comp. So you've had something like nearly 8,500 entries already, a really successful competition, which goes without saying that you've got to be the last fan standing come the end of the season with your tips. What's the major prize for this that you've put up, though? Because it's it's not a small one. No, it's not a small one. Really uh, an amazing prize. We're, we're giving away a brand-new car uh, to the value of 46990 And uh, that's a choice of uh, four, four of our brands. So, yep. um, yeah, someone's going to be very lucky. Now, if you've been living under a rock, the Survivor Comp is you pick one team to be your lock for the week. And if they win, then you go on to the next round. If they lose, then you're out. That's it. What can you tell us about the current car market? How's the industry holding up at the moment? Yeah, the industry's interesting. Um, We've had an amazing couple of years. Um, Supply chains have been really tight. So um, that can be good and bad. We we really want to get cars to our customers, but, but we've got order banks. Many dealers have so many cars on order. But it's slowly starting to free up. You know, that's that's good. So um, hopefully things will start tracking uh, a bit more normality over the next uh, few months. Nick, great to catch up. Awesome to have the Berwick Motor Group behind Crunch Time this year. It's going to be a great partnership going forward. And I reckon we need to catch up again in a month or so just to get another update on the car industry and how you're tracking and uh, how you're feeling about the blues. Because I think she might be a fair old roller coaster of emotions this year. Probably, Sam. Looking forward to catching up. You're listening to the award-winning Crunch Time. I think there's no doubt is that the dogs had momentum in the game. Um, there's no question about that. You know, they were certainly beating us at stoppage, beating us at clearance, and, and beating us in the turnover game as well. So um, we started to get some more dominance around clearance um, to start with initially, and I thought our tackle pressure and our pressure in the game started to go back up. So, um, and that was the most pleasing thing for me on the night. You know, we we were challenged a lot in that second quarter. And we're able to respond. You know, I think we had a what, about a 15-point lead, and then it went out to a 10-point lead for them. Um, so there was genuine momentum in it for them, and we're able to arrest that. Melbourne coach Simon Goodwin summing it up perfectly there, Cal, because they were tested the D's, the dogs. They gave it to them in the second term, but really they exploded, and it was a really compelling opening round performance. And when you think that there's four players who are probably coming back in next week. I think teams around the competition might be a little bit nervous. Yeah, they've got confidence that Bailey Fritch will be back, Stephen May will be back, Christian Salem and Jack Viney as well for next week's trip to face the Lions. So what it does point to, and I think we've probably all known this for a couple of years now, is that they have 
arguably the best depth in the competition, Melbourne, with the list they've constructed via trade and draft over a, a, a number of years now. I think they're as good as anyone at that. Look, who, who's going to be the guys to fall out? Because a couple of first gamers last night did their bit. Judd McVie was really exciting in, in what he was able to produce, and, and Bailey Laurie had his moments as well. Um, Carl Chandler um, was fantastic when he got his chances uh, close to goal. We know Adam Tomlinson has barely played last season, was open to a trade at the end of last year because he was a few deep in terms of the pecking order for their key defenders, but stepped up last night and, and did really well too. So, look, they've got a, a genuine level of depth. that They're going to lose Cozzy Pickett uh, for a, a, at least one week, you'd imagine. But under the grading system, it's, it's going to be an interesting one to follow as the MRO uh, decides on that one today because... Well, where do you think it will land? Hmm. Because it, was it careless or was it intentional? The, the jump off the ground gives you know, credence to potentially putting it as in, an intentional hit. Now, intentional is always hard to judge, isn't it, versus careless. And, and it certainly was careless because so, <laughs> he, 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 he got him. and But he got straight up. He got straight he up yeah, and so he played out the rest be, of the game. Has to be low impact. Low impact, but I mean, high how, What's the worst outcome for low impact sort of one to two games under the, the system regarding that but it's careless and intentional is going to be it shouldn't be two point. well it probably won't be no I, with I don't, the grading system yeah, I, I hope that the grading i'm okay with one because and it's one we often discuss the but i know, mean bailey smith he did get straight up and thank god for that because it was a really crude act yes. and i don't i don't want kids watching that to think oh well you only get one week for that. Isn't that the kind of action we want out of the game? I'm all yes, but if you want the we still if we still want the bump, mm-hmm. then we have to accept at times because it's such a fine line and they move at such speed that it, you can't line someone up and get out the protractor and get it perfect. So Cosy doesn't want to hit him in the head, but it is an inexact science of two players moving. So I think if we want to look a bit and keep that element in the game with care, then I'm I'm fine with a week. I don't think you get two when the guy gets back straight up and runs off. Now that call it luck, but he's had a little bit of luck because if he gets him and he knocks him out, he gets three or four. I do think it's uh it's amazing. We've we've ticked off a trifecta of annual uh, talking points in the first week of the <laughs> yeah. season. The, the, the night or twilight grand final has been discussed. Yeah. The future of the draw took one game to go, and now the bump is already. What do you in think, Sarah? I don't like the action, no. but with the system and the way it's graded, and it probably will be graded as careless. I think, even though I could mount a case for it being intentional, because he launches off the ground, and if you want to freeze frame it, it looks very intentional. It was kind of odd, really. I mean. Uh, Cozzy Pickett's got an aggressive streak to him and he's yes. a combative player and we saw that at under-18 so level. Well last night. There was a famous clip that I remember we put out in 2019 where he, he, he charged this 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 um, player at under-18 level and, and from about 15 metres laid one of the biggest hip and shoulders you ever see. That one was you know, shoulder on shoulder, so there was no drums about that. Here's a picket, you know. Yeah, <laughs> no, I was just thinking the same thing. And, you know, some players just have very, very hard bodies. I mean, Byron was like steel. Uh, I played with a couple of guys that were like, st- they were just steel. So there was, they were almost at a disadvantage that them bumping always threatened to yeah. cause chaos and destruction. He, he was fantastic and last night. Because he looks like he's got one of those hard <laughs> bodies that hurt. Well, he's, he's power, isn't he? He's all yes, power. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. The, the way they used him last night was a sign of things to come as well, wasn't it? Because um, yeah, 
starting the square, forty percent or so midfield time, but just yeah, up and back and, and high impact. Mm. Isn't it interesting? Centre clearance is fifteen eight to Melbourne, around the ground fifteen to twenty nine. So you look at that and you go, Okay, when you isolate the power of Melbourne with four V four, we give them some room either side of the centre square, they're destructive. You know, teams have got to roll numbers up and around the ball and play with a different method around the ground to counter that. So it's really interesting that they're, they're so they're dominant. You get them one-on-one as mids, good luck. They've got that big-bodied mid with power. And you add Cozzy to that. They And Jack Viney didn't play. And, I mean, he's built like the proverbial. <laughs> so they've got some strong players. And then they've got really strong strength. You know, most teams have a very good ruckman or an adequate, but they've really got that nearly with uh, Grundy uh, and Gorn. They've got every centre bounce, they've got what you could consider an A-grade ruckman. And I think in the second half of quarters when often teams rest that their primary ruck and put the back up, like you are talking about Greenwood yesterday and Combin. What would Gorn and Grundy have done to those players with Petrarca, Oliver, Pickett, Destroy Viney? Them. Yeah. Yeah, so it becomes a centre clearance game where you get yardage, you lock the ball in your forward half and it doesn't get out. And that's why, if you look at, we talk about their back line and their structure behind the ball. Well, 15-8 centre clearances says you get the game on your terms and then you get um, Lever waving his arms and setting everyone up behind the ball and just keeping it locked in. Yeah, it, it's a huge advantage. There's also an argument to say that Melbourne's better off in the ruck space this year than last, isn't there? Because I know Luke, oh, yes. Luke yeah, Jackson yeah. Gr- was, was, you know, the future was Luke, oh. Luke Jackson. Melbourne wanted to keep him. They were willing to offer a big deal to, to keep him and wanted oh. that. They used the, uh, Luke Jackson's a different type of player. I'd rather him in the forward line um, than Grundy for sure. Yeah. And maybe Max, although Max has shown to be really good up there. But centre square in the rack, yeah, I, I think I, I'd be more than comfortable with Grundy over Jackson at this point in time. So the combination last night produced three goals, 38 touches and 33 hit-outs. I mean, they're not going to get that output every week. You'd think in terms nice of the goal-kicking aspect. But the ability and for – and seeing it in, in the flesh as well and how they manoeuvred it one to the end and, and Gorn's ability also to go back and help out where Stephen May wasn't there last night, they cover some territory. So what do you think list management were talking about last year? Improving their ruck stock, replacing Jackson, or was it a bit about their – Ability to convert inside forward 50, and if Grundy's in there, Gorn being able to play there because he's such a smart player. It's interesting how that came together to go that path. Also, the, the, the offset of that might be as well, what impact does it have on Ben Brown? Because mm. Ben Brown played one of his better games for Melbourne last night. Kicked four goals. And, and to be honest, even the last 10 games of last year, they scored triple figures twice. Last night they did it with ease, 115. Oh, that's their area. Yeah. That's their one. That's their area. They back area. to their first half yeah. of 2022 form last season. And it's, look, they'll be aware of how they peaked early last year. But mm. <laughs> a multitude of factors in that go out straight sets, all, all the rest there. But, but you've but, got to win enough games to get in the top four and give yourself a chance. And they look like they're, they're ready to do that again. Yep. A team that didn't peak too early last year was Port Adelaide, but they were on fire yesterday at Adelaide Oval. And Jason Horn Francis, he took the game by the scruff of the neck in that third term with some youth around him as well, Cal. But they look really fun to watch already. Yeah, they, they do. And that was the magic of putting these young players together and, and giving him license. And, and Ken Hinckley's always been a coach who's given his players license to create and play with their flair and, 
Um, well, they draft that way, don't they? They do. They draft athletic types. You really know the player that they'll look for. I think yeah. we saw that on a, a number of different lines yesterday as well. I mean, Jason on Francis, they, they picked up last year, but Zach Butters' creativity by foot was there, and he's tough, Butters. That's why he keeps getting hurt, because he's tough and he's a smaller player. But um, he was really good. Connor Rose, we know how special he can be. But the wingman, Miles um, Bergman and Xavier Dersma on, on either wing, they were two of the better games you'd see from from those two so far in their career. Dersma was down a bit last year. He's come back and been a really good preseason performer for them. And Miles Bergen was a first round pick three years ago as well. A couple of picks um, around that uh, that Cosy Pickett uh, stage of the draft. So these are some talented guys. And then you, you think about their key forward stocks as well. Didn't see too much of Todd Marshall and Charlie Dixon playing together last year. Yesterday they combined for seven goals. He's the one I think Todd Marshall. I mean Charlie is getting older. So if he sits there about, if he could kick 30 to 45 goals, that's a pretty good return. To have a second banana that might become your main banana in Todd Marshall is going to be critical for them. If he can get to 50 goals, that's a great return from your talls. I was over at Port Adelaide uh, watching the oh, yes. train. Yeah, spent yeah. a week at Port Adelaide in January and did speak to Todd Marshall about being ready to ha- take the keys. And, and he was quite humble about it but you can tell that there's that that point in a young key forwards career you've been there Scotty where you're ready to take on the mantle and have that leadership within that forward line and I think last year was the confidence boost of them Ken, Ken Hickley's been a big supporter of Todd Marshall over a long period and there's been some a father figure almost yeah absolutely and they're really really tight and the confidence that he's given him to just stick with him stick with him stick with him because he's a different type of key forward as well he's a beautiful kick he doesn't always take too many opportunities to make an impact and he can get up and down the ground. And at ground level is pretty special too. So, again, you look at this this field of Port Adelaide and you think there's so many um, players with huge ability and huge upside. You can see why they chased the Savaradigalia last oh, year as well. That's their one. That's their their weak spots, their height in the back half. And we reported on AFL.com question. this week that they've got interest in, in Ben Mackay, and of course mm. they would. Uh, there'll be a number of clubs who will be looking as a free agent there, but and I'm sure they'll look at a Savaradigalia again as well, particularly after his performance um, to start the season the other night. So that's probably the one bit where other clubs will say, are they a little bit, um, you know, potentially um, you know, gettable there? But... Other than that, there's a lot to like. And that's why f- for Brisbane, it's such a disappointing performance. I mean, two goals and 14 disposals, uh, five marks for Danaher and Hipwood is a bad day. Perfect conditions, quick track. That's disappointing. Are we worried? It's a small sample size one game, but so many people came into this season thinking that Brisbane could be a flag and fancy. rightly so with what they added to their team. Yeah. To add Gunston... For McStay, I don't think you lose much there, even though Jack's a year older. But to add Ashcroft uh, and also Dunkley, huge. Uh, And they should think that they're right up there as good as anyone to win. But just to be so disappointing and also just concerning, Harris Andrews just looked, he had a bad year last year and he just looked off it again yesterday. Trailed in a lot, um, outmarked a bit. So their back line, they'll have to put some thought into that, how they structure up defensively also because their they're mids and their, as disappointing as their forward line was yesterday, they've got the pieces there. But the back line, I just wonder whether they might be like they'd like another tall or two, I think. All right. You're listening to Sunday Crunch Time. That's the first hour down. The second hour coming up with Leon Cameron.
You're listening to the award-winning Crunch Time. Welcome back to Sunday Crunch Time. And if you're a D's fan like our producer is, you probably woke up with a big old smile on your face. One of the starring players last night was Charlie Spargo. Two goals from his 15 touches. Charlie, welcome to Sunday Crunch Time. Thanks for having me, Sarah. It was quite the performance. The dogs were coming at you. They challenged you, but you guys really rallied in that second half. How did it feel being back out there and playing a brand of football that really looked like D's footy? Yeah, I think it was um, it was pretty good. As you said, we were we were challenged um, quite strongly in the second quarter. Obviously, they're a great team with some some real strengths in the in the midfield and up forward. Um, just proud of our group, the way we were able to. Uh, adjust on the fly mid-term and sort of shift our mindset um, and, and get the momentum back um, in our favour. You know, mid-quarter, not having to wait till half-time for the coaches to sort of make a change. So, um, yeah, we just sort of acknowledge just that there's going to be momentum shifts throughout the game when you're playing good teams. So it's about handling what they what they give at you and then finding a way to sort of, yeah, flip the script. Charlie, Cal Toomey, thanks for coming on for a chat. Let's talk about Cozzy. He was exceptional <laughs> last night. What's it like playing alongside him when he's up and about like that? Yeah, it's, uh, Carl, it's crazy. It's, you sit back and watch a lot of the time. But um, I think, you know, obviously we see the amazing things he does that others can't, the, the goals and the how fast he is and the high-flying sort of stuff. But um, his game's built on a really honest style of footy. Like, we always talk about it. Um, his game's set up when he's, you know, he's one touch. He's such a clean player. Um, and he does the defensive things. Like, he's the way he chases and pressures the opposition is really quite remarkable and he instills fear in them when they've got the ball so he built, he gives those opportunities to kick goals for himself when he when he does like the really basic things so um oh, he's an incredible player i love playing with him what's it been like over the last couple of years to form that partnership with him and alongside some other small forwards as well within the melbourne lineup we saw kate chandler come through last night as well and take his opportunity when they popped up you guys must have a pretty strong bond yeah that's right i think um all the sort of we call ourselves speed forwards um, at the club, that's what Greg Stafford, our forwards coach, has sort of coined us as. But yeah, we've got a really good bond. Um, we've sort of yeah, it hasn't been you know built over one preseason. It's been sort of three or four years building a bit of a culture within the forward line of guys who are really coachable and um, highly compliant in their roles. And um, as soon as you know a young person like Bailey Laurie comes into the club, he learns from from guys like Alex and um, sort of see myself as a bit of a leader within that forward line now as well. So um, we understand you know within our little group of of speed forwards, that's a pretty demanding role. And, um, you know, some nights it's not going to be the most nourishing, but it's a vitally important um, sort of role for the team. And that's why when guys have good games like Cozzy and, you know, Kay comes in and makes a real impact, we're just genuinely happy for one another because we understand how hard we, we all work both on and off the field. Take us into a speed forwards meeting. What's that like? <laughs> Do you separate yourselves from the taller forwards or the slow forwards maybe? <laughs> yeah, so, so staff... Um, Greg Stafford, that is, he sort of um, is big on language and how he sort of speaks. So we're not small forwards, we're speed forwards, and it's not tall forwards, they're power forwards. So um, it's a sort of around building that language. Even if you're not as fast as Cozzy with your feet, um, you're sort of speed in the mind. So that's what we sort of talk about, and the power forwards are, sort of speaks for itself. But, um, yeah, we sort of just, as I said before, we're all um, highly compliant. Um, everyone's sort of... Um, 
knows their role in, inside and out. And um, every now and then you get the chance to sort of make a real impact with the ball in your hands. Scotty Lucas, were you a speed forward? Or <laughs> <were> you... <laughs> I'd call Scotty a hybrid. Oh. Probably. <laughs> well, I don't know how you've weaved me into this, Cal, but no, no, I'm interested on the, the language that Greg Stafford's created uh, here, Charlie. And can we add nourishing? Tell nourishing. us what nourishment is for a speed forward. Um, well, when I say nourishing, I mean getting the ball and kicking goals. Cause, yeah, well, that's what I uh, thought. It's a bag full. That's <laughs> nourishment. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, obviously just because, you know, we work, we do a lot of running, um, plenty of the time it's, it's unrewarded. So as I said, when you see someone kick a goal, you celebrate for them because you know what they've, they've done to get the ball in their hands. And you mentioned shifting momentum back your way. How does that evolve, Charlie? Is it structural? playing slightly different um, style? Is it your leaders? Would, is it commentary yeah. out on the field? How does that happen? Or what does it look like for your team? Yeah, I, I think it's less structural um, as this year and in the preseason. It's probably more, um, not just our leaders, but everyone sort of, um, we've done a lot of work on the way we communicate with each other, um, you know, being able to identify when the momentum is against us and what sort of language you can use on the field to sort of get people to reset um, when we're being genuinely challenged. And I think last night was, you know, as good. you can do it as much as you want at training in the preseason, but when the, the bright lights are on, you're in a game, um, there's points up for grabs and the, the pressure's really on, which it was last night when they threw a fair bit at us in the second quarter. It was exciting for us just to really handle that challenge pretty well and, um, you know, band together and, and stop it and then get the, get the momentum going our way. Charlie, Leon, Cameron, well done on last night, mate. Thanks, Leon. Uh, just quickly, I know you started talking about the, the, the speed forwards, which clearly Scotty Lucas wasn't. Um, um, I just want you to touch on a couple of players that we probably haven't heard much of. I know you, Cade Chandler, um, you touched on before, but uh, Judd McVie as well. I mean, just want you to give us a little bit of insight into those two boys. Yeah, um, Cade's, so Cade's his fifth year now. He's sort of um, always been around the mark, um, so the last... Two to three years, had a few uh, injuries untimely, but he's been incredibly resilient. Um, you know, was the sub a lot the last two years. Uh, and that's been an AFL-quality player for a couple of years, which hasn't been able to sort of get in the side, but he's an incredibly hard worker. Um, physically, he's he's quite a specimen. He's um, one of the fittest at the club and um, puts a lot of time into his body. And as you saw last night, just a really sort of clean and, and dynamic player and a really good person to play with. Um, he's incredibly selfless, and um, although he hasn't played a lot of footy, I feel like he's he um, he's, it feels like he's an experienced player out there. He's he's calm. He's got a good temperament. So um, happy for him that he's he's in the team and he's making a real impact. And then um, Judd, uh, obviously a second year player who um, last year probably wasn't very close to playing. Probably had a few things not not through his fault to work on, but just sort of learning the game and um, learning what it's like to play AFL footy. But he put in just a mountain of work in the off-season and came back in incredible shape um, right up there in the time trials and, um, you know, has been sort of learning under Christian Salem and, and Michael Hibbert. They've put a fair bit of time into sort of um, watching vision with him and, and helping him learn the, the game plan and um, learning what it takes to play AFL. But he's just someone who, through the work he did in the pre-season and the off-season, he's just earned a lot of trust among uh, a backline that um, is pretty, you know, pretty a pretty good backline in the AFL. So... He's earned the trust and respect of those guys and he's, he's playing a really important role for us. 
We're speaking to Charlie Spargo from the Demons. The speed forward is what we have learnt, Cal. Now, the Tap brothers or, or Grawn, I'm not sure what we're <laughs> calling Brody Grundy and, and Max Gorn, the pairing, but how did you see it last night, Charlie? It looked pretty good from where we were sitting. Yeah, I, I definitely um, wouldn't want to be an, an opposing, opposing coach um, playing against that. Obviously, two incredible players uh, in their own right, but um, good that sort of they can both go, go in the ruck and, and spit forward at different times and just sort of not be very predictable to the opposition, similar to what we had with Luke last year. But um, Brody's fit in. Obviously, we know what Max is. He had an incredible game last night and he's, he's our fearless leader. But, um, yeah, Brody's fit in quite seamlessly to the club and, um, yeah, really performing as well, which is good to see. A lot made of your tools, a lot made of the dogs' tools as well with their four tall forwards. Did you see that and, and look at that as something you could potentially exploit if it did hit the ground last night um, as a defensive sort of element to the game as well? Yeah, that's right. Obviously, it was, it was going to be um, sort of not... It was going to be pretty tough with, with Steve out and they had a lot of tools as well. But, um, yeah, I guess that's sort of where you sort of look if you can have a potential advantage of the, they've got four tall. So um, if we can just do it, do our job and, you know, everyone else, everyone, you know, sort of comes across and helps out in the air. Once it gets to the ground, we've got that advantage sort of running out of the back line. And I thought Jake Bow did a really good job of um, sort of driving that. And so did Judd, as we touched on earlier. Um, as soon as the ball hit the ground, Angus, uh, Judd and Jake did a really good job of sort of accelerating out of the area and, um, yeah, putting their strengths on show. You obviously tasted premiership success over there in Perth a couple of years ago. How much does the exit of the finals last year sit in the stomach over summer? Is it real? Yeah. Is it tangible when you, you start a new season as well? Yeah, it definitely, it definitely was a, a really poor way to go out. And I think, um, we, you know, we, you had to acknowledge where our shortcomings were last year, and um, which was, you know, when other teams, we were up in a lot of games last year, including the finals, but when other teams sort of got a run on, we couldn't stop it. So, um, yeah, we've acknowledged where we went wrong last year, but um, we've used it, you know, as fuel to an extent. But um, we've sort of moved on and 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 looked at ourselves and how how we can improve on on our game and um, sort of what we did last night in terms of that adjustment mid quarter to handle what the other team's throwing at us. So um, yeah, it's, it was it was an average way to go out, but I feel like we've we've used it as a learning experience and we're sort of pushing onto this year now. Well, Charlie, it was an incredible start. Good luck for the rest of the season and good luck against Brisbane next Friday at the Gabba. That will be an absolute cracker. They'll probably be smarting a little bit, but I think it'll be one we're all tuning into. So thanks for joining us on Sunday Crunch Time. Thanks for having me, guys. Charlie Spargo there, who was playing a nice little cameo role, the two goals from the 15 touches, but also Cal a front row seat to Cozzy Pickett, which is pretty fun. <laughs> it's been fun to watch Charlie actually really turn himself into one of these um, hard-working small forwards or speed forwards of the competition because he entered the competition of the AFL as a, a ball-getting midfielder. Now, in a midfield that's so good, um, he's obviously made that role his own and it really represents sort of the selflessness, I think, internally at Melbourne. They just love him. They love his tackling. They love his pressure. Love, love his running. And he, when he gets the ball, he makes it, makes it hurt as well. They've been valued for a long time internally and now I think the broader public better understand the role of the small forward and what they mean to the team. He is critically important with the way that they play. You're listening to Sunday Crunch Time and as we head to the break, Sam Edmund chats some fantasy footy.
Yes, indeed. It's time to check in with Callum, of course, brought to you by Game Day Squad. Create, coach, compete in fantasy footy. Cal, welcome to you. Educate us. What makes Game Day Squad different from all the other fantasy modes out there? Game Day Squad, well, we're a revolutionary way to play fantasy sport that's a little bit different to, say, your traditional platforms. And a couple of things that we do differently is the first, that our players actually come in the form of digital trading cards. And as a coach, you've actually got to go out and find these cards and trade them with other coaches and collect them. Whereas, because if you don't own the digital cards, you can't actually roll them out in your team every week. And the other thing we do is we're what we call a dynasty platform. So again, unlike those other platforms that are out there at the moment, ours doesn't reset at the end of each year. So those player cards that you do go out and you find and you build within your team, you actually keep them from years to years to come. I like that. Now, any any fantasy mode, though, is big in the transfer market. So how does the transfer market work within Game Day Squad? Yeah, so we've got a peer-to-peer transfer market built into our platform. So whether that's you're playing on the desktop or whether you're playing on one of the apps on the, the Google Store or on the Apple Store, our transfer market is made up of coaches all across Australia buying, selling and trading cards with one another. So, yeah, it's a little bit different from traditional platforms where it's just you against, say, the computer and you've got to figure out who you want. If you want a player in our game, you've actually got to find him um, either in a pack or on that market where other coaches are potentially offering him. Have you got a must-have player for the season then with that in mind? Yeah, Josh Dunkley. Um, I think he's been the hottest person on the transfer market. Everyone wants a Josh Dunkley because he's a forward, but he's going to score like a midfielder. So... Yeah, he's going to rack up disposals, hopefully kick a few goals. And yeah, if you don't have him, I reckon that's a year you're starting behind. Well, a new era in fantasy footy is game day squad. Create, coach, compete. Callum, thanks very much for joining us. Thanks for having me on, Matt. Game day squad there. Create, coach, compete in fantasy footy. Be the coach and win. Play now. You're listening to the award-winning Crunch Time. Welcome back to Sunday Crunch Time. You are joining us for the second hour. Sarah Ollie here with Cal Toomey and Scott Lucas. Cal, so many great things to unpack already. Three games to come today, but what have you liked most from the weekend? I liked Collingwood. Yeah. I thought they were fantastic on Friday night. Uh, the, the new recruits, the, the players who were already exciting us from last year going on in leaps and bounds. I think, I'm, you know, I'm Nick Dacos' uh, number one fan and his ability to, in the big moments again in that game, late in the, the game, to be able to steer through some traffic and set up things. I tipped him for the Brownlow medal. I was going to say, it's a big call, but already he might have three votes in the bank. You might. There's always three or four times a year I'll, I'll bring it up, coaches that don't tag. <laughs> I just and and I appreciate it. They're all there's almost a group of that they get together and they they you know it's our system and we we can't afford one to leave it. Um, but I often think don't don't get beaten by what by their web by their asset. Make them beat you a different way, which is why I, I often are intrigued that perhaps if Nick Dacos is there too many because of Pendlebury also, but if. Nick sets up off half back and is so creative, and, and he gets involved in chains. If you stop, if you could stop those chains with someone, what does that lead to? Hmm. But clubs they stick to their their it's process, fu- don't they? It's funny. Uh, Collingwood match up really well with Geelong, clearly, don't they? Uh, and hmm. I know everyone will say the, the what ifs and, and all that, but if they had made the grand final, it would have been a far, one, it would have been a far closer contest. Two Victorian teams playing at the MCG, Huge. Collingwood's fan base. 
So that that's a, that's a factor. But even the, the qualifying final is only a goal in it. That they they do have some confidence around their style matching up against the Cats, and I'm sure the Cats, you know, for the for the most part, have a lot of confidence in their style winning as well. You know, the other thing that that's just not true. The clubs have come out and said, we're learning a new game plan. It's going to take time. Where did Collingwood finish two years ago? In one off-season, they went from what they were to what they are pretty quickly. So for some reason, Collingwood have been able to change the way they play very quickly, but a lot of other teams can't. That's true. It's going to take a lot of time, and we're, we're betting down a new game plan. Um, they've picked it up and run with it, haven't they? They have. I also think that that was um, an anomaly that, that year where they did finish second last. Hmm. But still playing differently. They did play differently. A, very, so a, a new game plan, though, more so than not great, yes. very good. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree. But yeah, they've, they've done it pretty quick. I actually think like... Some great sayings out there, isn't there? <laughs> yeah. That we just... The, the protection sayings. Collingwood challenge every three or four years. Yeah. They've managed through through their list build and, and recruiting and, and different styles to, to really maintain a consistent trend over the course of the best part of more than a decade of being a good team every three or four years. All right, Cal, Scotty, as much as I've enjoyed talking to you this first hour of Sunday Crunch Time, we've got a special guest joining us for this second hour. Leon Cameron is ready to go ahead of the Giants and Adelaide Crows match. Leon, welcome to Sunday Crunch Time. G'day, Sarah. How are you? Scotty and Cal? We are all very good. Excited to unpack the matches that have been so far. What have you liked most this weekend? Oh, look, I think, um, I mean, clearly uh, the Thursday night and the Friday night, the comparisons were chalk and cheese. I don't look at it in a derogative way because I think they're just the pressure and probably the Thursday night pressure compared to the Friday night pressure of just up and down footy. They're just two different brands and... I reckon Dimmer summed it up on Thursday night that uh, they they were just a little bit sloppy going inside 50 and Carlton were probably a little bit lucky to get away with it. Um, and if they had have converted a bit better going inside 50, they probably would have won by three or four goals. But And then the, the classic Friday night, you know, you know, probably Collingwood doubters from last year, their style of play, and I heard Scotty talking about it. I mean, they're, they're just a classic plus one side ahead of the footy, not behind it. I mean, we're used to the... 90s and the early 2000s footy where you'd always have a plus one behind the footy. Collingwood will have a plus one ahead of it. And uh, that's why they play that bold scoring uh, way. And uh, every chance they can get, they'll move the ball as quick as they can. And uh, they were unbelievably good. Um, and if you're a Geelong fan, I wouldn't be worried about it too much because, you know, they're probably just starting. going to take a little while to get going. But I think my highlight, uh, Sarah, was Port Adelaide. Um, I think... Um, you know, after half time to beat Brisbane in the manner that they did, and all their kids—and I know they're not kids anymore, other than Horn Francis, um, Rosie, and Butters—and and these guys just led the way without Travis Boken to kick um, a score like that after half time was outstanding. Leon, can you take us into the psychology of coaching a side in round one? Yeah, you know, the good and the bad, and the reaction to a, a great performance and, and the opposite as well and how you turn things around and the focus that's placed on the opening of a season because we in the media love round one and, and build up the results one way or the other. But internally, how do you sort of um, gear your side one, whichever sort of way that the, the, the coin tosses goes uh, in that first game? It's a really good question, Cal. Look, and look, to be totally honest... Um, 
you know, everyone will, will play it down, coaches in front of, you know, probably in the press. But round one is a is a big deal um, because you're you're all sort of sitting there wondering how how's your preseason gone, where are your injuries at, what have you practiced over the summer, so it gives you a, a really good guide. Now what happens is clearly if you win you go okay we've transferred everything from preseason. If you lose you go we haven't, and so you move on really quickly. And uh, Scotty was mentioning there's so many different sayings in AFL footy, but look there'll be. As you know, the sides that don't, you know, there's no, there's no indication. If you win round one, you're going to win the premiership. So um, it's just because footy's been away for four or five months, and everyone's so excited to see what you've got in front of you. So, look, there'll be sides that'll be waking up this morning, going, "Yep, fantastic transfer from our preseason. It's backed up where we're at, um, and given us a really little confidence going into round two or three. But also, the losers, the sides that have lost gives them a lot of ammunition to bounce back. And you'll see a lot of sides that do bounce back from round one into round two um, because they're disappointed. They hone in on some areas that they might have thought they had under control over pre-season that reared their head. And so they'll really focus in on that throughout their week's training. And you'll see some you know strong performances and bounce backs uh, in round two. Leon, is it possible for teams to prepare better for the start of the season and conversely, some teams with a more broader view that perhaps think they're better in terms of the type of preseason or tapering before round one. And I look toward teams, and perhaps that my rider on that is coaches under pressure, perhaps that need a fast start or they they don't think their team's great. So if we can pinch a couple early to get some momentum that way, or is it more about the collective season when preparing your team for it? Yeah, it's a really good question. And look, every club's in a different... Not different in terms of everyone's trying to chase win losses... Sorry, wins early. That's not the case. But it's just a different setup of where their their club's at. And, um, you know, we use Kenny Hinckley as a great example. Um, you know, we know that uh, it's a contract year for Ken. And so our port up and running early because their pre-season, they've gone to the well so many times through... December, January, and February, and you know, train really, really well, and so they are in peak condition. Um, you know, is Geelong as an example? Uh, you know, with Hawkins, who's a mature. You know, he's played 16 years. He's probably going to take a few weeks to get going, just because he needs a little bit of uh, touch to get going. And Jeremy Cameron, and maybe some of those guys were sort of handled halfway through January, where they started started to get going. I'm, I don't, I'm not too sure of their program, but. It's a real interesting one to discuss. At the end of the day, I always sort of say you sort of get to about round six or eight and you sort of work out who you think are the sides that are really, really the ones to beat and then who are the improving teams and who are the sides that are probably either going through a development phase. Even though we have all these predictions, everyone has these predictions early, you sort of get to about round six or eight and you go, well, gee, this side's a real deal. They're... um, you know, they've, they've transferred their pre-season. They've got a healthy list. They're playing a really bold brand. And, you know, they're not they're no pushover. So you do all these judgments early, but, I, you know, about round six or eight is where you get a bit of indication. And, Liam, were you impressed with the Swans last night? Over the summer, there was so much talk about grand finals, scars, and we can see that when there's a heavy defeat in a grand final that teams don't necessarily bounce back the next year. But the Swans came out with so much intent from that first bounce. Were you impressed? And I guess were you surprised given where this list is at? And it's still quite young. 
Uh, no, Sarah, not surprised at all. I mean, they've had a couple of challenges with some uh, with some of their tools in their pre-season, but um, no, nah, look, they're a professional outfit. We know what you get from the Swans most weeks. And um, their win against Carlton in their practice match out of Blacktown was really dominant. And so they carried that on into the um, Suns game. So probably not surprised at all, Sarah, on that. Um, their, you know, their leadership is outstanding, led by Mills and Rampy and Parker. Um, they really drive standards at their footy club. I mean, everyone does, and I'm lucky enough to see that, you know, doing some academy work from afar. They are really, really driven, um, and they want, you know, clearly want success. And with young players, I think it's probably a little bit easier with you've got younger players uh, bouncing back off a disappointing grand final loss because, you know, they still haven't reached their peak yet. They're still developing. I mean, look at Al Gordon. I mean, he's taking his game to another level. Whereas sometimes if, if it's with older teams, older teams can go, geez, it's going to be hard to get back there. Um, we need all this energy, everything to go right. I think they're in a really good spot. Um, and going on what happened last night against the Gold Coast, that action supports that. Did you see Buddy's bump on Sam Collins? And if so, does he have a case to answer for? Because he was one who really showed intent with the first two goals of the match. And he looked great, the 36-year-old, but... He might be in a little bit of trouble. No, I didn't. We we played an academy game. We were flying back from Melbourne and got in late last night. So Excellent answer, well Leon. Said. Still a coach. Still a coach. Well, uh, hey, but it's all but all but the truth. We actually won down against Danny Nong Stingrays, guys. So we're really oh, well done with our girls. Um, so that was a, a great result for them. Um, but look, he's I mean, he's still dangerous at thirty six. I know we. We've, we've funny, we put an age on some of our athletes uh, in world sport, but some of the best are still going around, doesn't matter what their age is. And for him to bob up and kick his few goals, um, I think they've managed him well through the pre-season. I mean, John's come out and, and said that he won't play every game, and I think that's smart, um, making sure that he's there when um, you know they need him most. But, uh, yeah, look, he's a phenomenal player, phenomenal talent. What he's done for footy, not only in the AFL, but up here in Sydney, is just first class. Leon, comparisons can be uh, unfair, but also very interesting. How would you compare the two clubs, the Giants and the Swans? Yeah, well, it's, it's five five months I've been at the Swans. Oh, look, I mean, one's been there for 40 years and, and the Giants are coming up to the 12th year. So, um, I mean, you know, both really good people, um, good playing lists. Um, I mean, comparing that, you can't. I mean, it's probably just the history. I mean, the Swans have been there for an extra 28 years and so their membership's a bit bigger and their supporter base is a bit bigger. But, you know, when you go to the Giants, to have 25,000 members again, I think in 12 years here in Western Sydney is a great effort as well. So, look, everything's tracking for the Giants to be, you know, another really strong sporting outfit in New South Wales where we know it's challenging when you've got the four codes to compete against um, the other codes. So... No, both are both are good clubs, and um, it's just good, great getting a good insight into the little things like Mills and Rampy and these guys really driving those standards off a year that they had, you know, and uh, and we know about their grand final loss, but how they go about it. You've mentioned driving standards from the Swans guys. Is that do they drive them harder than perhaps the Giants? Which is not a criticism of the Giants, but do they just drive harder? Oh no, not really. I mean, uh, I mean, the the Giants were in finals for five or six years in a row, and um, and we played in the grand final. We were unlucky in a couple uh, of finals here and there with lots of injuries. No, I wouldn't say that. I think Davis and Ward and um, Green and Cornelio have all got their great traits, but 
probably I was I sat out of footy for about four or five months after I finished up halfway through the year and just getting back into it and looking how Rampy and Mills um, and Parker and not just those three guys but their coaching staff I mean it's just good to watch and it doesn't mean that anyone's any better it just means that you know they might go around about it in some different ways. So how are you expecting the Giants to go today, Leon, against the Crows and also this season? What's what's the expectations for a footy club that has had a fair bit of change as well over the last 12 months? Adam Kingsley takes on the reins. And um, yeah, what are your hopes and what are you looking for today? Yeah, look, I think, uh, well, they've had a great pre-season. I mean, word up here is they've had an unbelievably good pre-season. Um, limited injuries, which is you know, was always a bugbear of mine. Um, <laughs> Um, yeah, for five the last five or six years, but they've had limited injuries. Um, there's some wonderful stories that are brewing, and I think we're going to start seeing that in this first part of the year with them. I mean, Brett Daniels comes back, and look, he hasn't played for about you know I think it's about a year and a half, and missing him was really really tough. Not having him in the team, so it's a great story. You know, fingers crossed. You know, hopefully he plays a really good year. We all know Cal about Finn Callahan. He only played about four games last year. And those games that he did play, you could see why he was taken at pick three. I mean, we're talking pick three. He's just uh, underneath uh, Dacos. And we, oh, I can't rate him any highly. He's an absolute uh, budding superstar. He'll start out in the wing. He'll go into the middle of the ground. So adding those two players overnight gives them great um, speed and just a different element. Um I think Lekalier comes into his second year. Um, I think you're going to see some really good things in him in the back half. Hogan's had a great preseason. Himmelberg's gone back forward. They've had a really, really, um, you know, rounded preseason with limited injuries. So I expect them to be, you know, winning early. And uh, I know Adelaide have won their two games, and they've had on their hand they've had some played some great footy against the Dockers and the Eagles over in Perth when they played their two practice matches. So it's going to be a fast game because it's about 34 degrees here and it's going to be really hot in the middle of the day. But I expect it up and down, up and down. But, um, you know, I think the Giants will come out on top and trump the preseason that they've had. Leon, despite Toronto and Hopper going out, have they still got more talent on their list than most would believe? Yes. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And look, it's we always knew the challenges over the years was the balance. And... You know, people and, – and Jacob Hopper and Tim Taranto are going to be fantastic players for the Richmond Footy Club. But the balance of midfielders at the um, Giants has now started to balance out. And having only four or five instead of seven or eight, what it does mean is that other players like um, Daniels and um, Callahan and Stone, who you haven't seen much of, and you know, I think he's playing today, he'll play a really good role – those sort of guys that have been waiting for opportunities either through injuries or just opportunities play their positions as specialists, wings and half-forward flankers, rather than putting midfielders inside mids there. So the balance of the list is really, really healthy, I think. I think it's um, heading in the right direction. So you're going to play seven or eight forwards instead of four or five forwards where you have three mids resting there. So I think it's advantageous, Scotty. You make a really good point. Um, and that's, you know, that's the why I'm you know, really bullish about the Giants today and especially early in the season. Was that extremely difficult for you to manage, to have seven or eight legitimate A-grade mids fitting into four spots? Was it just yeah, too many? Look, it, yeah, look, I think it, it, at times it is. I mean, people will go, um, you know, you'd love, you know, uh, that many midfielders in your team, but 
Um, becomes a management them, issue with yeah. personalities at times. Yeah, yeah. Well, personalities, but equally just game time. I mean, yeah. if you want players to get into rhythm, you actually want you don't want them in there for five minutes and then they find themselves on a wing or a half-forward flank for the next five minutes and they might come back in. So rotating six midfielders or seven midfielders through the middle is sounds great, but it's 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 really, really hard to manage. Whereas, you know, they'll go in with Cornelio, who's had a great preseason, Kelly, Perryman... And Green, I mean, Tom Green, those four. So if you had Taranto and Hopper in there, that's ha- way harder to manage. You know, they're not going to be as many, uh, much time in the midfield for those, all of them, if they're there. So all of a sudden, as I said, Daniels and Callahan come in and they play specialist positions. And um, so that rounds them out bit, uh, a lot better. So I- I'm expecting, you know, that talent to shine and, and I expect them to have a really good game with Adelaide and Adelaide are in you know, great form, but I just think the Giants will probably prevail in the end. Leon, we've seen Toby Green installed as the sole captain this season. Are you happy to see him in that sole captaincy? And would you have made the call if your hands weren't tied with the suspension last year? <laughs> You're going straight for the big news, aren't you, Sarah? <laughs> um, Oh, look, it's it's a really interesting one because uh, I, I don't think Josh Kelly or Stephen Cornelio has done much wrong. Uh, in fact, you know, seeing it at the forefront, I don't think they've done much wrong. But Toby Green is Toby Green. And yes, it was hard at the end of last year after the incident down in Launceston when we played the Swans in a final. So that was really difficult. So I just think, I think the club's made the right decision. And, you know, however they came to that, and I think that standout captain is Toby because of just what he does when he crosses the white line. Um, in saying that, Kelly and Canelio haven't done anything wrong. Green's just... Um, probably just that little bit extra level. So He's, you would have um, made unique. him sole captain, do you think? At the end of last year? When you were appointing the trio, if you could have just appointed Toby, would you I have think done it that? Have, I think it would have been a, probably an easier discussion. But, we, you know, it's like anything. You're faced with different circumstances you have to deal with. Interesting. you got your line there, Sarah. <laughs> <laughs> what about Lockie Whitfield? Uh, Leonie's name was floated in... in trade talks last year, obviously on a, a, a long-term deal at the club as well. How did the Giants get him back to that 2018 form where he's an All-Australian and, and such a key mover off half-back and, and through the midfield? Oh, look, I think he's had a... Um, a re- again, he's, he's another person's had a really good uh, pre-season. He had the ankle surgery early, uh, I think right at the end of the season last year, so it gave him enough time to prepare. By all reports, he's going really well. Him, Isaac Cumming and Lockie Ash off the halfback flank are really um, forming a really good bond. So he's gone back to that position where he had that you know, that great year. He's just had some really rotten luck with injuries. Uh, his ankle hasn't been great. I think it's his second reconstruction on his ankle. So um, they'll have to manage him, but they, I think they've managed him really, really well. He's in really good form. He's a great play. He makes great decisions. He suits that game that looks like the Giants will play, and that's that you know real attacking brand of footy. So I, I expect, him, barring injury, that uh, we're in for a really good year from Lockie. How do you go personally, Leon, in watch, watching the Giants games? Yeah, obviously, a, a decade at the club and such a, a key part of this club from its foundation. How do you find it um, rocking up today, a new season ahead? Is there still a sense of connection? Obviously, everyone sort of looked at the departure last year and thought it was really professionally handled from, from all parties. But how have you sort of sensed that connection with the club or, or taking a little bit of a step away and obviously your Swans involvement now as well? Yeah, I think that's probably the answer, Cal. I mean, with my Swans' involvement, with the um, 
Now, I know we're arch rivals and, and uh, it seems a little bit funny, but, um, you know, the academy is something that has uh, been really good and, uh, as I said, they're you know, a really, really good professional club and working for them and learning different stuff for me is great. Um, I mean, there's no doubt. I mean, I'm not going to sit here and lie. There's going to be a connection here. You know, you've been there for 10 years. It'll be interesting watching them today, uh, knowing that it's round one and this time last year you're at the helm. But, you know, there's a lot of good young lads. You want to see the club uh, really succeed. Um, you know, we've taken some really good steps forward, not just on the field, but off the field, um, you know, in a really tough market. And you want the club to succeed. And, you know, over the next few years under a new reign, hopefully they do. But, um yeah, I mean, you know, it'll be good watching some of those players, but I think moving to another footy club really helps you move on and get your next stage of your life going. So what can you tell us? Any any Mills or Heaney's yeah. or Gouldens or Campbell's or Blakey's in the academy this but year, Just a few. Well, Cal, if I tell you early, you know you're going to you're the draft guru. Then all of a sudden, there's going to be stories written. So I can't tell you yet. Um, They're not but, even playing, um, are they, Leon? You've just left them. You reckon we're soreness. just leave them yeah. at their other clubs? You Mills, reckon we're hiding Mills, them, Scotty? Well, Mills, Mill. I don't. Did we see Mills in his top eight? Oh, that was some bad shin soreness. Yeah. Caden um, <laughs> Cleary, Lockie. Cobor, uh, Caleb May, there's a couple of names maybe potentially keeping on. Yeah, look, and it's interesting talent in New South Wales that watching it, and uh, we've been playing a couple of academy games against the Giants, um, which has been great. You just get lots of good footy into them. I mean, we know the challenges of bringing talent in, uh, you know, in New South Wales to the draft pool is is challenging. It doesn't, you know, it's not a natural lot of football up here. I mean, when it rains, there's a speckle of rain, the grounds get shut, so a lot of games get shut down through the winter here. But it's interesting just looking at how that talent develops and, and look, yeah, we are looking for the for the Gouldens and the and Mills and, and Heaney if they pop along. I think they're unique players that do come along in the academy and the Giants have seen coming and Green and Hopper and these guys come through, so we're searching and searching and hopefully we can produce some that uh, hit your draft board at the end of the year, Cal. <laughs> From your conversations with people that have been at the academy for a bit longer than you, Leon, what are the raps on Errol Goulden? He was sensational again last night and seems to be improving with every match. Yeah, look, Sarah, I think it's just... Um, look, no doubt talent. So you put talent to with work rate and it's just uh, off, off the charts. And um, clearly, um, and you always say, OK, well, what came first is he just this drive to become one of the best players he can possibly be that is there in abundance he just he's you know first at training last to leave and watching him from afar he's that driven to become the best player possible he's aerobically gifted he's got speed and he's a magnificent left foot kick so all those things that uh, people look for he's got but he doesn't flirt with them he doesn't uh, waste that talent he's got he's um, as I said he's that driven and watching him full action a couple of weeks ago when he Played that practice match and then uh, last night uh, just kicking that uh, 60 metre goal on the run. He's got you know, a lot of weapons and uh, no doubt uh, we're really lucky to have him at uh, at the Swans. Where exactly, Cal, did he slide to in the draft? Uh, I reckon in the end maybe taken at pick 30. Or around 30. Around yeah. 30 or 31 I think in the end, yeah. There is always after the draft or, or when they start to play, <laughs> someone will yes. say we... But one <laughs> he was there. But no I one took one, him. One, recruit, one recruiter all year had him at six and would not move him from six. You're listening to Sunday Crunch Time. Up next, it's Charlie Spargo from the Dees. But we will get moving on to some big news out of Essendon. 
things just don't seem to be going right for them at Bomberland, Cal. And, of course, you were out there on Friday just for some training at Brad Scott Presser and Peter Wright. He had a bit of a, a, bit of a tumble. He's in yeah. for shoulder surgery. Yeah, did dislocated his shoulder. Marking contest hit the ground. And uh, certainly uh, it swept through the, the club pretty quickly. And you can tell. I mean, Scotty, you've been there, I'm sure, where uh, a key player gets injured at training and, and the group is... Obviously up and about about the start of the season, but there's always a sense of, oh, how bad was it? There was some hopes maybe it was just a collarbone injury or a, a slight issue, but in the end they've decided to put him in for surgery and miss half the season. It's an amazing um, setback for the Bombers on the eve of round one. Well, he's so critically important to them, isn't he? Like structurally, that's the one area of the ground. It was sort of him and some other stuff, and they, they brought in Wiedemann to add some depth to that. All of a sudden, Wiedemann becomes critically important to it. And adds another layer of challenge to the Bombers this year. They can't find the 50 goals that... I don't think they're going to be able to find the 50 goals that Peter Wright kicked last year. It's the best and fairest. There's going to be, have to be different ways for them to hit the scoreboard. Um, they've got a, a, a better hand of small forwards to potentially make an impact this year. Last year they relied on Mac Guelphy and, and Archie Perkins to a degree as, as those sort of medium types. They've got Anthony McDonald tipping Woody. Um, back. John Menzies had a really good summer. Alwyn Davies making his debut on Sunday. Harrison Jones comes in a little bit underdone off a pre-season. If so we look at the good teams though, what have they all got? A couple of really big boys, don't they? They do. And mm. to be honest, even ideally, you'd probably want Peter Wright to be your secondary big key forward as well because of the way he plays too. So you can have your lead up and kick and he's certainly um, made a really good career for himself now, signed that four-year deal. And that was I think the, the heartbreak a little bit, the, the sorry Essendon supporter yeah. on Friday, an hour after the, they mm. get the news that he's re-signed for four years, he goes down and misses half the season. So it's going to be a challenging year for the Bombers. I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing, though, because it gives new coach Brad Scott a chance to assess what the list already has. I think there's a fair few holes on the list. There's a fair bit of talent as well, but there are a fair few holes as well for me. And, Liam, we might get your opinion on what you'd be doing if you were in Brad Scott's shoes. But first, let's listen to Sam Edmund, who was joined by Josh Jeans for a dabble. It's time to say hey to the social bet with Dabble. Josh Jeans has joined us for a banter and a bet. Go on, have a dabble. Gamble responsibly. Call 1-800-858-858. Well, dabble time, which means it's Josh Jeans time. Joshy, g'day again. G'day, Sammy. Glad to be back for another day. Oh, how'd those Ds go yesterday, mate? Hey, Grundy, Gorn, what'd I tell you? <laughs> they look pretty sharp, didn't they? I couldn't believe that the doggies could blow it so uh, so easily. But I can't really be talking about performances yesterday, so we'll uh, we'll leave that one for the moment anyway. <laughs> Indeed. And what about West Coast? Though? I ask you a question. Have they blown it? Beaten by North Melbourne. This was their chance, Jake. Uh, I know you'd be a cold man this morning, that's for sure. Yeah, that's the topic in the banter channels at the moment. Uh, who's going to win the wooden spoon? I'm still saying they're not going to win it, Sammy. Uh, yeah, looked deplorable yesterday for one quarter. Sort of clawed back. But let's mark this one down. 21st of May, Hawthorne West Coast at the G. I'll bring you along to the double box. And, uh, <laughs> and we'll watch the Eagles get up to second last on the ladder. Yeah, okay, mate. All right, well, we'll leave them for now. They've got a tough draw. They've got the Giants next. And they've got a real tough draw after that. Gee, that was smashing clearances in that contested ball yesterday. But enough about them. What are we doing today? That's right. Let's have a look at our bets. So today, I'm just going the favourites, basically, except I'll take the Crows at the line, give them a four-and-a-half-point buffer, buffer, like their pre-season, taking the Bombers easily over the Hawks. If they can't win it, 
I mean, the Bombers are just a shambles. And uh, Freo, 1-39, to 39, Sammy. All right. Well, I'm, I'm going in a different direction. I'm going back to Hawthorne and Essendon, but I like, yeah. uh, I like the Hawks. I think there's some value about the Hawks. No Peter Wright, uh, no Jake Stringer, so I'm liking Sam Wiedemann, two-plus as well. And I'm going to go Dylan Moore, 25 disposals. Uh, he's had a great preseason. Absolutely love that. And, of course, you can uh, copy those bets with one click. Just download the Dabble app, and hopefully we'll see you in the banter channels and uh, check out some of the live streams that we've got going on from Tuesday to Saturday. But, Sammy Edmonds, thank you so much for your time. So Sammy referred to it there, Leon. There's going to be no Peter Wright today for the Bombers. Such a big loss structurally, as Scotty was touching on, the best and fairest. What do you do in Brad Scott's situation on the eve of the season? Look, it's a really tough one, and, and we are up, up here in Sydney and heard the news. It was just, you know, it's shattering because he got a captain's run and he's clearly just on his ex- contract extension. But then just to have that, you know, nasty injury and miss the first half of the year. And in a, in a new coach, a new era, um, you know, it's just really disappointing. They can't do anything about it. As Scotty just mentioned, it gives a great opportunity to young fellow Wiedemann who's moved across from Melbourne as well. I, I vividly remember it happening uh, in a captain's run when we were playing up here once. Uh, John Patton went down with a knee. Mm. Just a simple, uncontested mark. We are playing West Coast over in Perth about two or three days later. And, and you can just see it's just a massive ripple effect. It just has a, your fingers crossed. You're going, OK, hopefully it's not that bad. You try telling yourself you'll be OK. It's only a couple of weeks. But it is what it is. And that's the thing with, uh, you know, football clubs. You've got to move on really, really quickly. And Scotty, no doubt, uh, you know, disappointed. But he gives uh, some other guys a bit of an opportunity. It'll be interesting to see how young fella Harry Jones goes. I mean, he needs support around him. And having Peter Wright and Stringer there will help him become a better player quicker. So it might be challenging for him, especially if he's had a, a limited pre-season. He might be a little bit underdone. But, um, yeah, look, I think, um, you know, it's going to be a huge challenge for them against the Hawks today. But, uh, you know, fingers crossed, hopefully they can get off with a good start with, you know, without Wright and uh, Stringer, which, which goes a long way, you know, to helping their football uh, in the future. Are you nervous for today, Scotty? Uh, I think it'll be a tough day for them. Yeah. Because the Hawks are the youngest least experienced side you'd expect the Bombers to walk away with the four points but it's not that easy when you've you got some of the outs you've got exactly experience over the ground the Bombers still have some experienced players particularly through the midfield whereas the Hawks are very young in that area of the ground so but at the end of the day the goal power is the challenge although I think Lewis is still to return for Hawthorne so it's probably offset both teams but it's a huge loss for the Bombers to have right out it could be a bit of a shootout I reckon because yeah. the Hawks <laughs> want to play quick they footy do. through the middle they want to kick and, 20 goals and to be honest that's been an estimate strength over the, the, the last few years as well <laughs> defence hasn't been <laughs> as good no that's right but in the case Watch of this yeah. this game today it could go that way so uh, but for me, I think if Zach Merritt and Darcy Parrish get going in the midfield, they should have enough strength in there to at least give their forwards enough opportunities. So what you're saying, 150 to 155, get no. down to the G? <laughs> <laughs> it might be that way up here as well. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, plenty to come, as Leon said. The Giants, they're about to take on the Crows. And after that, it is the Bombers and the Hawks rounding out action between the Dockers and the Saints at Marvel. You've been listening to Sunday Crunch Time.